Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. On this program and in Jew in the City at large, our mission is to break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. It began with me sort of explaining what my life looked like, and at a certain point, um, more people started joining on, and really our mission has grown into explaining what lots of different Orthodox Jewish perspectives look like. And really it has to be that way because there's only so many things that I do and so many things that I'm interested in. And what we want people to realize who are looking at the community from outside is that there's a lot of different sub-communities within the Orthodox Jewish community. Before I was observant, I sort of just saw, um, I think probably like the standard Hasidic look um, on trips to Manhattan, and I thought that this is Orthodox. And over time, as I learned more, as I got exposed to the community, I found that there are so many different groupings and subgroupings. You know, you have your um, academics and you have your hippies and you have your spiritual people and you have your fashion people and you have your foodies. And um, there's really just such a a range, um, not just within Jewish thought, but also within um, interests and hobbies and things that people are into. And um, it, it's really wonderful that things are so diverse. And I think although people just see black and white from the outside and they just think that it's, you know, like uh, so monolithic, there are really so many choices and sort of sub-communities to explore and to be a part of. Um, and one thing that I am not really into, although people have tried to get me into it, is yoga. My mother every so often like tells me to do yoga, and maybe it's just sort of because I am, I don't know, you don't want to listen to your mother. Is that something I should like grow out of now that I have like four of my own children? But, um, you know, it'll be good for my back. And I think mostly because I just like sitting on the couch. And, you know, um, there are people, though, that are more active and do these things. And um, recently I heard about a woman who had started actually a yoga program for children. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about what, what she's built up. But um, her name is Jory Stillman, and she is with us here today calling in from Albany. Thanks so much for jo- joining us, Jory. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So you have a master's in Jewish education. Um, you were a student of yoga for 15 years. You were a certified Krupala yoga teacher. Did I say that right? Krupala? Krupala. Kripalu. Oh, Kripalu. Kripalu. I did that wrong like seven times. Yeah. Kripalu yoga. And you have training to do um, yoga for children. Um, and now you've brought sort of your interest in education and yoga together through Shalom Kids Yoga. Um, and so I guess, you know, I think it's interesting for other people out there listening, probably are interested in yoga, some are interested in Judaism, want to find out how the two come together. So could you tell us a little bit about kind of where you came from growing up and what got you interested in yoga? Um, well, originally what got me interested in yoga is that I was a lifelong gymnast. Um, and so when that um, ended, when I was about 18, I was looking to, you know, continue my physical activity, and so yoga was sort of a natural outgrowth because I was very flexible, um, and so originally that's how I started doing mm-hmm. yoga, um, and then over time that sort of relationship with it evolved into uh, the benefits of yoga being, yes, physical, but more from like um, a calming perspective, and the emotional, psycho, psychological perspective became really mm-hmm. important to me. Got it. So when did it go um, from just sort of taking 
um, a class or sort of dabbling in it into saying, I want to make this my life's work? Um, well, I should say it's part of my life's work because okay, I was a, a Jew- yeah, I was a Jewish educator for a long time, and then I just loved it. Um, I wanted to share it with other women, and then um, I realized also with children, and I went and became certified already a long time ago, I think 2007 or 2008, um, at Kripalu, which is one of the largest health and wellness centers in the country. Um, and so that sort of started the official teaching. But before that, I was doing it in my classroom just to try and get the children engaged, um, you know, through in a different way. I, you know, I see that there is this uptick in interest in yoga happening, like my preschoolers do yoga, which I think is like so, you know, it just wasn't on the table. It wasn't even talked about when we were growing up. So what are some benefits? My mother tells me it will help my back since I have, like, back aches probably from sitting on the couch all day. But um, what what are some benefits for mind and body that people who, you know, pursue yoga could benefit well, from? Well, certainly um, it will help strengthen and tone your muscles and help you become more flexible. And, you know, if you have the right teacher that's very well trained, she can help guide you to um, – you know, heal different parts of your body and become stronger. But also um, the breathing practices and the more meditative component of it really help you to, you know, calm your mind and calm your body, which is beneficial to all of us in a very stressful world that we live in. Um, Also, you know, yoga has... When I say yoga, I don't just mean the physical part, but the, um, the, the meditative and breathing aspects component to it have been shown to be very effective to help treat, like, depression and anxiety and, you know, run-of-the-mill stress and even PTSD. So there's a lot of sort of exciting things happening in that way. And then also for children, you know, the mind, the connection, getting them up and moving, helping them learn through their bodies, helping them to be able to calm themselves. I've noticed, um, you know, either teaching in the classroom or just teaching a yoga class, their favorite thing is the relaxation part where I lead them in a story or a guided visualization. They just seem to really crave that sort of stillness and um, relaxation because their lives are so go, 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 go. And what is the youngest age that you've gotten kids doing yoga? I would say three. I always okay. joke that I've taught ages three to 83, and at one point they were all in the same room but three really below three you know it's a little bit challenging so okay so I fit into that spectrum somewhere so I have time still though (laughs) so what about someone like me who um sort of intellectually sees the benefits but can't get herself motivated do I need to go to a class because that feels like a very high bar to like find something and schedule it and go there. I'm saying, can I do it from home? Or there's some sort of beginner ways that I can um, bring some yoga benefits into my life without having to do too much effort? Well, certainly there are a lot of books and there are a lot of tons of resources online, videos, even five-minute, you know, experiences where you just, if you don't have a mat, you sit down on the floor, you sit down on the carpet and um, just, Start from where you are. So no, you don't have to get up and go to the class, although you might find the, the camaraderie and the teacher guiding you to be a good place to start. 
I've been working from home for like nine years, so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with my silence in here. Um, now, tell us a little about the, the Jewish aspect of it. You were not raised observant, so when, how, why did you begin your journey to a Torah observant life? Um, well, I was about 18 when I really, well, I grew up with a very strong cultural Jewish identity, very involved in like um, the conservative movement and um, USY and going to Israel and all of that. And then when I went to college, I decided that I wanted more um, spirituality, tradition in my life. And so that began the journey. And I, I went to Israel and I went to learn um, when I was about uh, between 20 and 21, I started learning, and then after that, I decided to be a Jewish educator. So mm-hmm. I got my master's in Jewish education, and I continued learning in yeshiva, and then I came back to America and was teaching in the classroom, um, you know, young kids, but um, primarily second through fifth grade. I also t- taught first grade, and um, I did that full-time for 11 years. In fact, I taught it. Mariah in Englewood, New Jersey, and now I'm up in Albany, and I do a little bit of classroom teaching at this point. I have other pursuits, but I'm teaching at the Hebrew Academy of the Capital District in Albany. Um, so now, so, so what, what is the connection? It seems like you got into the yoga around the same time you decided to delve you know, deeper into your Jewish heritage. What is the connection between um, Jew- Judaism and yoga? Um, well, I, I personally have, you know, there are a lot of people who have offered, you know, teach a class of yoga with sort of a Jewish topic for adults. And I've also, I haven't really always been interested in that as much as, um, you know, combining it for children. Mm -hmm. Um, the connection is, is really the sort of centering piece, um, being, being present being able to focus your mind, being able, you know, cultivating healthy habits. And one of the, you know, one of the mitzvot is taking care of your body and taking care of your mind. So I see that um, that pursuit is taking care of my mind and my body as well. Isn't there something like that Avraham Avinu did yoga? Have you ever heard such a thing before or am I just totally? I've only heard that he sent gifts to the East. So then there's probably a midrash out there that's like what those gifts are exactly. But the East, you know, is where um, sort of yoga flourished and came came into being. So, yes, there could be a connection to Avram Avinu. And what about, so that's one thing that I heard, you know, from the, um, the things I've heard of yoga that I don't have a source for. And then I've also heard... Are there any issues of like avodazara or like idolatrous issues connected to um, to yoga? Is that anything you've ever looked into? If there's any problematic aspects to it or stuff that we don't do? I'm not going to lie. There are people who say that you cannot do yoga, and then there are rabbis that say that it's perfectly fine as long as it's divorced um, from from those early influences. So, you know, finding a yoga class in which there are no, where the music is either, you know, non-religious or non, uh, you know, non-religious um, or where there's no, because I will be honest, there are studios that use that sort of stuff in a very poppy way, but it still exists. So one does need to be careful and mind that aspect of it. 
But Wait, any so, yoga so, so class. So tell me, what, what do we look out for? I'm saying there, you could go to some yoga studio where there's like um, idol worship happening as part of the... No, I would, I, I'm very firmly going to say there is never actual idol worship happening. Okay. Um, you know, it's sort of very hip right now in, in the West, but there's no actual idol worship, but there might be like a little statue of the Buddha, and if, and you might, that might make one feel very uncomfortable, so noticing that, and the kind of music that's played in a yoga studio, or even the pictures certain people will have a problem with, so I like to avoid those kind of studios, there are other studios that are very, like, just, you know, we come, we do yoga, we focus on the emotional, psychological um, benefit, and the physical benefit of it, and there's beautiful, you know, it's just a beautiful serene, peaceful environment. And what about, um, like, is this sort of along the lines, like, Arya Kaplan has a book about, like, Jewish meditation. I'm saying, is that more kind of the, the angle that you approach it with, that, like, there's a long-standing tradition within Judaism? I mean, I think, like, the early Hasidim, and I don't mean, like, um, you know, with the payas, but I'm saying, like, the Hasids of, you know, the time before that, they would meditate for, like, an hour before praying. So is that kind of the, the angle that you come into it with? Absolutely, and um, you know, I use for me uh, try to do my my personal breathing practice and some yoga stretches and meditation every day. And before I daven, so that I'm in a calmer, more comfortable place. And so there was something that you were um, crowdfunding but, for. Oh, oh yeah. So something that I'm very proud of is you know having been in the classroom for a long time, I taught. Um, Judaic studies, and I taught Kumash and Tzila and everything, and when I was teaching Bereshit, I realized, wow, there's so much here, and you know, a lot of the yoga postures are based on animals, so I started teaching yoga in my classroom and connected that to Bereshit, and then I came up with the idea to create what I call Shalom Kids Yoga Creation Cards, and um, basically it's 54 cards, and it's um, there's 32 poses based on the six days of creation and Shabbat. And there's um, seven meditations and eight games and activities and seven breathing practices. And this, there's, it includes Hebrew and English. So I'll say children, but really also adults can learn what was created on each day of creation. The meditations definitely are both appropriate for, um, you know, children, older children and the young at heart. Um, and I can just tell you that by teaching this in the classroom, there's a way in which they internalize it a lot more. Moving your body um, and learning with your body, especially for young children, but you know, I'm sure probably adults, helps for them to internalize and have fun at the same time. So they're both learning the Hebrew words, and you know, that's in addition to learning the text along with it at the same time. So, so, okay, so, so that I just mean that. Yeah. So, so wait, yoga is about like doing animal poses. I've heard of the downward dog. That's probably the extent of my <laughs> yoga knowledge. So, not, so is that like not just about doing animal yoga poses, poses or it happens, animal? To, it happens to be animals and like based in nature. So, for example, um, you know, on day day three, God created the trees and the flowers. There's a tree pose. Eight. Um, flower, parak, and I also took artistic license. So for like or v'choshech, light and darkness, I made up a pose. I really took artistic license with this, and I found a wonderful illustrator named Hannah Silver and Leah Karras, who's my graphic designer, and we came up with this really beautiful 
um, little project, or not project, but product, and also there's poems on the back. So the kids memorize these poems or say these poems, and they have a lot of fun, and they're learning at the same time. And do you see this as a tool to help already knowledgeable Jewish kids get more into yoga? Is this a tool to get kids that are into yoga more into Jewish stuff? Is this for both? No, my I would say my main goal is really to, not to get more into yoga. That's wonderful if they want to do that, but really I see that as, as a tool for Jewish education, you know, here, so that they are, again, having fun, learning, moving their bodies, having... Um, this sort of a different kind of experience, engaging with their Jewish lives, Jewish text, um, Hebrew. So definitely that the yoga serves the Torah and Jewish learning and not the other way around. And let's say a total beginner like myself were to get these cards, um, would I be able to understand like what each pose looks like? It's what there's like a picture of like a person or a drawing doing it and then I'm just supposed to like make the pose myself and hold it? Is that the, the basic gist of how each card works? Basically, there's um, um, a really cute illustration of a young, you know, of a child and their fun and engaging illustrations. There's Hebrew and English on one side and a poem on the other. So it's very self-explanatory. There's nothing, there's no really complex poses. And then there's also going to be seven um little visualizations, meditations based on each day of creation and Shabbat. And could you give us like an um, example so yeah, of like one or two? Like what, what does a meditation mean? Because I don't, like I know what to meditate, like you breathe, you focus on something. What is oh, one of the meditations mean? is one of the, at the very end of any yoga class, there's like a guided relaxation. Mm-hmm. And so the guided relaxation that I have is like, for example, I don't have the card in front of me, but taking, you know, looking at day one, and taking the student back in time to the day in which, you know, um, the, into the day of creation and sort of experiencing that, um, being able to watch creation hovering, you know, on the face of the deep and everything was tohu vavohu and chaos. And, um, you know, from, from nothing, God created something in the world and that whole process started. And there's one for each day. Um, there's really a beautiful one. I mean, I wrote it. I love it <laughs> about the last day, uh, our lighting candles, you know, and the idea of being a, in bird's eye view and watching candlelight light from, um, you know, across the globe, seeing the little candles light up the, um, the globe and the importance of lighting candles and Shabbat and bringing light into the world. Um, and I perceived a lot of really good feedback from those meditations. Yeah, so tell us, what, what has the feedback been? Who, who's getting these cards, and um, how is it impacting them? Um, well, as of right now, anybody who supported the project, that was about 110 people, are going to be getting the cards in about, please God, two weeks, because they are going to print this week. Um, and the feedback that I've been getting, because some other people also were able to download it, So the feedback that I've been giving is really wonderful. I also have a 60-page companion curriculum, you know, that a lot of Hebrew schools and, you know, some day schools are using in their classroom just to enhance the learning. Mm -hmm. It's not as a replacement to learning the text. It's all about, you know, enhancing enhancing the the experience and making it more visceral and come alive. Um, 
And I would say the biggest nachas that I get would be from watching my students and watching my own children um, do these cards and, you know, I could leave them in a room by themselves and I just hear them flipping the cards back and forth and saying the poems and saying the Hebrew and what was created when. That's the biggest nachas. And when I, you know, can call out the word light and everyone says or and goes into the pose or I call out the word, uh, you know, eight or whatever it is, that they do it, and um, I know that they're learning. They're learning and they're having fun, and that is really my main goal, um, and that they have a warm, positive um, feeling about their Jewish learning. And, I mean, you're just going to print now for this first project, but are there any future projects on the horizon? Since there's been such great feedback for this, could you foresee any other parts of the Torah that could become yoga poses? I would say Noah would be the next one. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything in the Torah lends itself to these to to learning in this way. You know, Vayikra might prove to be a little bit more challenging, yeah. but certainly around certain Chagim like Tubishvat and um, maybe Rosh Hashanah, there's ways of, of there's certainly ways of learning with the body um, that help for children to internalize the message, but. Um, you know, posters are in the works and on some other things. Um, it's been a huge labor of love. This is not what I do full-time at all. Mm. <laughs> um, so we'll see what the feedback is. And, um, you know, it was just, a, like I said, it was a labor of love, something that I wanted to get out into the world, and I'm really excited that it's coming to fruition. And is there also something about, like, the Hebrew letters also being yoga poses? Am I totally making this up? No, you are not fully making it up. There was definitely something called Alzbet Yoga, um, and I don't know the... There was, like, a husband and wife team that made a, a book about it, and there was a children's book, but um, this is not Alzbet Yoga, although that's really wonderful, too. Got it. All right. Uh, and, and, and also there's... I'm sorry? Oh, no, I said I'm just clearing up every yoga rumor I've ever heard my whole life with you today. This is just my, <laughs> my chance to clarify. What were you saying? I'm certainly not the only one that has explored, um, you know, yoga and, and Judaism. There's definitely others, and there's some other people exploring, you know, a whole movement that they're, I don't know if they're calling it yoga, but, um, you know, sort of Kabbalistic yoga, so to speak, and within the Orthodox world, not outside of the Orthodox world. And what does that mean, Kabbalistic yoga? What, what is that? The, how does that differentiate from what you're doing? Well, for, like, well, just, you know, what I'm doing is really in service of children learning, and it was mm -hmm. just something fun and a real marriage, you know, with the, the story of Brishi. Um, um, it just, this is a real, it just started as something fun in the classroom, and mm -hmm. I saw that the kids were really learning what was created, and they were able to learn Hebrew, and there's a real connection between learning and movement, um, and even language acquisition and movement. There's there are Hebrew programs out there that include movement, and I wish I could remember the name of it right now, but I don't. <laughs> now, the um, truth is that I'm, so I'm certainly me, not an ex, ed, uh, education expert at all, but one of my kids was having some trouble reading many years back, and what we learned was that to practice spelling while throwing a ball in the air was a great way to put something to memory, that a physical action along with, you know, sort of saying it um, helped put it to memory, so that's a very interesting thing that 
it puts it inside. So we're, we're just about out of time here, but if you could tell our listeners how they can get um, some of these cards, you know, maybe this would make a nice Hanukkah gift for uh, some children in their life. So where can they find this? And Yes. Well, like I said, they're going to print this week, and please, God, they will be available a week before Hanukkah, and you'll be able to get them through my, my website, which is shalomkidsyoga.com. Shalomkidsyoga.com. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for uh, joining us today, and uh, best of luck with this project, and we'd love to hear future updates on future projects. And speaking of projects and Hanukkah, we have something fun that you can check out on our site right now. Uh, a couple months ago, I was meeting with our producer because now, Baruch Hashem, we really have a, a pretty substantial team here at You in the City and Project Makom. We were thinking about what fun Hanukkah videos could we do. We do a lot of serious stuff at You in the City, but sometimes you need to just do something a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun, a little more viral, um, just to put a smile on people's faces and to, you know, get the more meaty content out there as well. And we were in talks with Jamie Geller from Joy of Kosher about doing a collaboration. And then we were thinking, wouldn't it be fun to bring other all-stars into this? And so we reached out to the Maccabees and to Mendy Pellin from Jubelish. And we thought it would be really fun to fry lots of weird and crazy foods on Hanukkah. That, you know, for some reason we only fry donuts and latkes. Why do donuts and potatoes, why are they the only ones that get the fun of being fried? There's probably so many other crazy things out there that you could fry. So from this idea, talking to, you know, the other people that were in it, we came up with two ideas. One was to do a blind taste test of all the crazy things that could be fried. Mendy Pellin actually does not eat fried food. He, he speaks pretty extensively about um, some stomach issues that he has, Crohn's disease, that sort of thing. So um, he did not have to eat it. He just served it to us, and he was lucky because I was literally going to throw up by the end. Um, so that was one video with Jamie, uh, Josh, Jay from the Maccabees, and me trying different crazy fried foods blindfolded. And then we did a second video where we wondered, why do we only fry on Hanukkah? There's so many other times, so many other great Jewish foods we eat throughout the year. Why does only Hanukkah get the frying fun? And so we fried up some crazy Jewish foods. Um, I actually did spit out a couple of them because it was so horrible. So that was a mistake to eat those. Um, and anyway, so we, we hope that you'll enjoy these videos that were uh, that we just put out. Um, and then we have something coming up for Hanukkah itself. Another food that's not oil that a lot of people don't even think about as a Hanukkah-related food is milk and dairy. There, It's part of the, the story of Hanukkah that Yehudas um, slayed Sisera by first giving him some warm milk to uh, put him to sleep. And so we did this great... Um, sponsored video with pomegranate, which blew me away this store. And their chef Isaac showed really cool cheese pairings. You know, we think wine and cheese, we think apple and cheese, but this was just a whole other level of different condiments and sauces. And at one point he took a blowtorch out so that we could blowtorch the cheese. So anyway, we're going to be releasing eight days of cheese pairings for Hanukkah for each night of Hanukkah. And um, anyway, we're, we're having a lot of fun here and uh, we'll continue to bring you more great programming on the Nachum Siegel Network and Jew in the City Speaks. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.